Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We are reading the entire Bible together, out loud, book by book, chapter by chapter. We're almost done here with the book of Zechariah. And these last two chapters have got some things for us. Chapter 13 today particularly has these words that are cited in the Gospels. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. What is going on here? This is, of course, the citation that our Lord himself speaks in the Garden of Gethsemane to his disciples. What is going on with the striking of the shepherd and the sheep being scattered? How do you put that in the context of the whole chapter, right? You look at some of these verses here. You got this one verse earlier on in the chapter says something like, uh, you know, that the prophets will not put on a hairy cloak, it says. Well, what's going on with that? So, you know, uh, this is the same thing we've been struggling with. You know, how do we make the connections between what was going on um, in those times that Zechariah was prophesying to, and then the times of our Lord, and then to our own very unique set of circumstances. Joining us today, we've got returning Pastor Stephen Tice from Frona, Missouri. Good morning, brother. So good to have you join us here. And I got to ask, um, how are you doing and how are the brothers and sisters uh, out there in Frona? Well, thank you for your welcome. I'm doing well. And uh, the folks here in, in East Perry County are, are doing well for the most part. Um, we've had some services that have been suspended and schools that have closed. So we got folks doing a little bit more of the staying home and having to shuffle a little bit that way. Right mm -hmm. now, uh, health-wise, we've not been... We've not been diagnosed with any problem connected to the virus, but um, that certainly can always happen. But even in the midst of that, we know that God's promises he'll be with us in the midst of difficulty and uh, that ultimately he will provide what we need. He may not do it the way we want, but he will provide what we need. Amen. Amen. And I thank God that he is taking care of everyone out there in East Perry County. Um, interesting, though, you know, when you do read these scriptures, just how the circumstances of the day just create, they just kind of cast everything in a different light, you know, um, talking about sheep being scattered. We all uh, feel pretty scattered right now. Um, I mean, just very interesting approaching chapter 13 of Zechariah today. Yes, we look at that, we'll, we'll investigate, talk to and find out what's going on. So. Certainly. Let's go ahead and turn to the text then. As we do so, would you, brother, uh, offer a prayer for us, for everyone listening, and uh, for everyone as we um, are all trusting and looking to God in these times? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, you've provided for us that which we need most of all, salvation through the death and resurrection of a wounded shepherd, the Lamb of God, whose stripes were not in any way aimed at his use, but for our benefit. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to give peace and strength to all your people, to the church around the world, to all humans in need. We know that the virus that we've discovered in our communities and around the world today is all part of the brokenness of creation, that it's a and evidence that what you made good has been damaged, and yet you continue to pour out your good gifts upon us. We ask you to bless emergency responders, researchers, health care providers, and all those suffering from infections and diseases of any kind, and from the family members who are hurt by the process of losing a loved one, continue to grant strength and peace, but most of all, use us as your people to witness to the truth of your love in Christ, that all might live forever with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Let's go ahead. This, this is actually pretty interesting here. Verse 1 in the ESV. The ESV is deliberately grouping verse 1, actually, with the previous paragraph that we read last time, that last paragraph in chapter 12. Let's go ahead and read just verse one and ask these questions of, you know, so does this uh, really go with what's to come or does it go with what, what proceeds and, and kind of try to 
put these things together here. So here's just chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Uh, I feel like there's so many things that we could kind of just this one verse here, but uh, yeah. what, are you, what are your thoughts here? Um, you know, I mean, last time we did look at this, it was uh, talking about looking on him who uh, whom they have pierced the morning, right? Everyone mourning by themselves, right? And then we have this verse here. What what do you think is going on? Well, on that day, we have this fountain being open, and and if we look at the fountain that's connected to the the previous promise that God is going to pour out a spirit of grace and the pleas for mercy, which He will respond to, and his response includes the opening of this fountain. And then note that this is for the house of David. The previous uh, chapter talked about the family of David, but also Nathan right. and Levi. And, and it, it identifies the, the people who are connected to God's work, whether it's the leader of, of Israel under the, the design that he had to use a prince in his place, and David's family was the, the one with the, the promise of continued blessing through what is, in our terminology, Jesus the Christ, and their terminology, it would be the anointed of the Lord, the Messiah. But on that day when Christ was pierced, a fountain opened, not just for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, but for all people. And notice it's to cleanse from sin and uncleanness. It's not to drive away an enemy. It's not to remove a threat of physical harm or opposition from a, an opposing government. This one is very clean and direct. The washing that comes from this fountain is for sin and spiritual uncleanness. And so as we tie that to the previous chapter, certainly yeah. the one who is pierced, and remembering that Zechariah has no chapters, uh, we've imposed right. that on the book itself. Right. The original uh, manuscripts don't have chapters. They They may have poetry divisions in various places, but this this is not one of those places. So the the term on that day is a repeat of the previous um, section uh, in the end of what we call chapter 12, and it's also not separated out by what in the Hebrew we would call a a, uh, wow conjunctive. Some people might call it a wow consecutive, but it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't have that, that little mark in front that means it does go with the previous paragraph much more than the next section. Thank you. Yeah, those are a lot of good thoughts here. Um, you know, just kind of taking the, the thing you were saying last about, you know, how does the Hebrew text itself kind of group everything together? You know, this phrase, on that day, it, it keeps getting repeated, and we didn't really make much of this last time, but this is a good time to go ahead and take a look at it. If you do go back to chapter 12, which as you were saying, right, like, you know, the chapter numbers are what, what we have added. What, what the Hebrew has, right, at the beginning of chapter 12 is, you know, uh, oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. You know, that's mm-hmm. the Hebrew way that the text itself is saying, hey, this is a new section. Um, right. And so we know that 12 starts a new section. But as you were saying, uh, there's not really text, uh, text-wise um, kinds of markers that say that, oh, 13 is something different. And in fact... Um, this on that day thing seems to be what ties together um, all the different elements in these sections. Because we have, you know, in mm-hmm. verse one, it's on that day, as you were saying. Um, in verse two, which we haven't read yet, it's going to start with and on that day. Um, and then like back over in chapter 12, actually, we had on that day a couple of times. And the ESV is actually pretty helpful here. Uh, if you look back at chapter 12, verse three, they got that little footnote. You know, look at the look at the footnotes. They're very helpful. Um, and it says here that on that day occurs um, not only in chapter 12, verse 3, but also you've got um, you've got chapter 13, 1, 2, 4, 14, 4, 6, 8. Um, so this is just going to keep on going through the last chapter of the book. And you see it there back in um, chapter 12, verse 6, where it said, On that day I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood. Right? We looked at that kind of language there. So all of this is kind of talking about this, um, 
and of course, I can't neglect him, verse 9, right? Um, on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So mm-hmm. all this stuff is just, you know, this on that day. It's all talking about this situation, um, not literally necessarily, you know, on that, like, you know, 24-hour day or like, you know, just like, like from from uh, sunrise to sundown or you know, from sundown to sunrise, depending on how you look at it, um, right. like, you know, all, all those things. But just like there's a, going to be a, a period of time where all the stuff of these last three chapters is going on. Yeah, and this is the the uh, the completion of God's plan to bring about the history of Israel is always aimed at God accomplishing finally salvation, not just for that nation, but for the whole world. And this is the the... The focus now is that this fountain is not just for David's family, but it's going to move beyond David's family. And then you and I have this promise that the false gods that the people have been deceived into following or have tricked themselves into trusting are no longer going to be tolerated, which is, you know, a a marked change for uh, the history of Israel as we read through the Old Testament portion. Regularly they've been deceived into following false gods, or they've turned from God's ways to go their own way. And today people, of course, still do that. Um, but the, the key here is that God's saying, I'm making clear to all that the idols don't accomplish what I am doing through the one I am sending you. Well, and, and to the point about, you know, the one who is sent, ultimately, the Lord Jesus, as you were saying, it... And, and how this might refer to him, it is very striking to consider how, well, we, we looked at this before in chapter 12, how, you know, that this is um, this is the, the thing that gets quoted here when, when you have their, uh, what was it, in verse 10, right? Um, mm-hmm. When they look on me, on him whom they have pierced. And that's what the quotation that you get in John, right? And this is, it's so striking, right? That's in John um, chapter 19, right? Verse 37, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And then what does, this is just so interesting, right? Because then it says in chapter 13, one, what we just read, there shall be a fountain opened for the mm-hmm. house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And, and what does John say that he saw there in chapter 19? Yeah. Right? The water and blood flow out. Yeah. Right? There, there, there is a fountain uh, that's opened up in the side of the Lord Jesus. And right, that's what it says in verse 34, just a couple of verses prior um, to that, to the illusion about the piercing, right? Uh, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, is that what John's getting at? I, I think that you absolutely have to say that's what he's getting at, that this water and blood, right, has um, so much significance. You know, and we, we have this in our hymns even when we say things like, you know, water and blood flow mingle down that, uh, you know, when, when John talks about the water and the blood and the spirit testifying that, you know, this water and blood that cleanses from sin and uncleanness, right? Um, yeah. It's it what comes from Jesus. It's for us. It's the sacraments. Yeah, it's, it's, his, it's his gift of his life that now renews us. Um, when he died, what he was doing was offering his life that we might have a permanent life. And there's also, through the history of the Christian Church, people have tied this reference to a fountain also to the the washing of new birth that Titus 3 or Titus 5 where Paul talks about this being made new uh, by a mm-hmm. washing of rebirth and Peter's reference in the Pentecost sermon tying this fountain also to baptism and right. this is uh, I think an appropriate connection that we can make from the point that Zechariah is pointing ahead to Jesus as the sacrifice and the the fountain opened, now is the flowing of God's grace onto us, as you said earlier, God's given to us in the sacrament. Right. And and so this, I mean, so it's just fascinating, you know, already we've got, I mean, this, this is, uh, this is not something that gets quoted in John, but I mean, the the piercing part got quoted and then, and then this flowing is what's alluded to in the way that John talks about it. But you've already got John, you know, making this use of this first part of 13. And we're going to get, as we were just saying, um, in Matthew and Mark, an actual citation coming up. So uh, let's keep pressing on. It's really fascinating all the connections we've got in chapter 13. So turning now 
to verse two, as we were saying, it continues um, this this on that day. Though, as you said before, you've got that kind of um, that that kind of construction in Hebrew where it's kind of saying the beginning of a subsection, right? Because it's not just like on that day. You you got a little bit of this. Um, well, you know, it's it's a you know you you can see it. It's this perfect construction, but here it is in verse two. Then, and on that day declares the Lord of hosts. I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive, but he will say, I am no prophet. I'm a worker of the soil for a man sold me in my youth. And if one asks him, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. Yeah. Oh, all right. I, this I I feel like might be the part of the chapter that we'll struggle with the most. It's the it's the middle part where you know before we had the stuff that we can connect to John nineteen and before next mm-hmm. thing coming up we're gonna you know connect it to uh, Mark twenty uh, Mark fourteen and Matthew twenty six. But yeah, this this middle part here, uh, like what's what's going on with these these prophets who are pierced by their their parents and um, who have wounds on their backs. Um, because of their friends, um, uh, who are who are these these deceptive prophets who have been rejected by their parents and friends? What's going on here? Well, there's a couple of things. Obviously, is that that God's plan is that prophecy shall all be from Him, and if it's not from Him, no one should speak uh, under the Deuteron the the uh, Levitical code, and again repeated in Deuteronomy. Uh, the, the statement is there that a false prophet is not to be tolerated, but rather to be put to death. But normally that's, told, that's referred to by, by stoning. And yeah. what God's saying here is, I will remove from the land the prophets and spirit of uncleanness. I will do that. I will cut off the names. Not you'll do it. I will do the removing. So God's going to accomplish this through his spirit dwelling in his people. The other thing is that uh, the statement is that when one cursed a parent, they were not to, to be allowed to live. And so chapter or verse 3 talks about the father and mother who bore him. Um, this this idea that that they have life in them, and they got it from somebody. Now, the mm-hmm. false prophets who worshipped idols, where did they get that idolatry from? Well, unfortunately, mm-hmm. in many cases, it was passed on to them through a, a previous generation, maybe their parents, right. or if not their parents, and others in their own community who taught them to worship worship the false gods or to speak as a prophet of an right. idol. And the father and mother who bore him shall be the ones then who must reject the false teaching, whether right. we talk that as a physical parents or if we go to the other idea of, of the philosophical concept of their um, the people who gave him those thoughts won't right. accept him anymore. And right. He's no longer... The, the people who, who handed that tradition down to him. Right. hmm Yeah. Right. And it's striking, too. You've got the same word right there. It says, you know, uh, the ones who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. And that's, in Hebrew, that's actually the, the same word for piercing that we had back in chapter 12. And, and so this this is raising something in my mind, right? And I think you've already kind of, uh, you know, made a little bit of the, the connection that this is um, this is distinctive because this is not, you know, like these prophets getting stoned, not, not being stoned by by the people by a mob, right? But this is God rejecting them and and then using the the parents and then it, it would seem coming up uh, the friends to reject him, maybe not by putting him to death, well, but perhaps. Um, but by you know these stripes and, and, and piercing, but it's the same the same word for piercing that we had in in chapter twelve when God was the one being pierced. What do you what do you make of the connection or or maybe the the contrast or the analogy here? Well, the the uh, use the phrase the tables are turned, if you will. Um, yeah, 
and, and the the piercing through that God experiences that Christ receives from his enemies gives life. The piercing through that is done to the false prophets does not bring life, but it ends death, if you will, false messages. And and so there's a a an intentional victory on the one hand and in Christ's death, uh, you know, recalling the idea that Satan thought he was going to win here by getting Jesus to die, he actually lost. Now what we see is the, the as I use the phrase, the tables being turned, those who thought they could lead others into a, a, a destroying worship of, of false gods are themselves destroyed and there's no rescue for them. Rather, they're gone. They're lost. Right. Well, and, and I suppose, you know, yeah, the, the kind of the reversal idea, of course, we see that again and again in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to your point, like, there's a, you know, kind of a lot, a contrast, too, in terms of, like, you know, God is is pierced, and um, I, I mean, that life unexpectedly comes from it, right? Right. Um, I suppose, on, on the one hand, by, by piercing the, these false prophets, we, we no longer have their their they're killing words of deception. And so, I mean, in that respect, Mm -hmm. um, God does even work through this. Um, I I think that that's, I mean, you can, you can kind of understand that like, okay, right. Like, so you had, you know, the, the peoples, uh, and and even into a certain extent, maybe the people themselves, right. Piercing God, rejecting God. And Hey, it's, it's time to no longer reject God. It's time to reject the, the, the idols and their prophets. Okay. Um, but what do you make of this this comment about the the hairy cloak and um and even the part here like I'm no prophet I'm a worker of the soil for a man sold me in my youth, mm-hmm. um I mean like okay it makes sense that these are the the, the bad prophets that are, uh, you know the ones who represent the idols but what's this further description of them getting at? Well this is this is tied in in part to Amos who was the one who when the Lord sent him said I I was a, a keeper of the flocks and a tender of sycamore figs, and the Lord called me to come. When they told him, you know, go back home, you're, you're, uh-huh. not, a, you're not a prophet, uh, and you're, you're bothering us here. And he said, hey, I'm no prophet to start with. So this is an allusion partly to that humility of Amos, but it's also the recognition that they won't even present themselves as prophets in a physical sense. They no longer wear the clothes of the prophet. They are saying, don't count me as a prophet. I'm never going to pretend to be a prophet again. So it's a, a humbling humility. And that, that's really striking because, I mean, I guess if the idea, right, is that they themselves now are going to come out and say, hey, look, no, I, I've, I'm, a, I'm a fraud, right? That's, yep. that, that's very interesting because, as you were saying, you know, the, the typical— um, you know, response to a false prophet is, is you is you stone them, you you kill them. Mm-hmm. But now, right, God is saying, you know what we're going to do? We're going to we're going to pierce them. We're going to give them wounds on their backs. Right? They're going to be rejected by their by their friends and their parents, and and they themselves are going to, I mean, in a sense, like go on living, but mm-hmm. but testifying themselves about their own fraud. So, I mean, it's it's a really interesting picture where God is. I mean, in one sense, I mean, it seems like he's being very merciful because he, they could just be stoned to death, right? But instead, we're we're having a a kind of living and ongoing testimony to uh, the falsehood of this, right? It's like, no, instead of just killing you, here's what we're going to do, right? We're going to to have you live out your days, and you're going to testify to everyone about the falsehood that you've spoken. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a it's a very interesting turn considering the history of God's people. Yeah, and, and this is this understanding that the, uh, the people who have portrayed themselves as spokesmen for a God are now saying, I don't speak for anyone. I have nothing to say other than what God himself is now sending through his prophets, and ultimately, of course, as we look ahead to the resurrection through his son, who now sends out his disciples with the same message. And so the church today still carries the word of the one who is producing this fountain that cleanses from sin and uncleanness, but we don't do it on our own authority. And that's part of what this whole section is. The the, uh, thing that jumped out at me is, you know, as we're reading about the wounds on the back, the... um, 
the Lutheran Study Bible has a comment about the uh, false prophets cutting themselves. But mm. what struck me was the, that Christ was whipped by his enemies and yet had been betrayed by his friends. Uh, and so these are the wounds I received in the house of my friends. That They yeah. took Jesus out and tried to stone him. They were interested in killing him on several occasions but didn't know how to do it. And those were supposed to be his friends. So that Christ himself is the one who ends up carrying the wounds, Isaiah 53. Right. We are healed, well, but right. understanding that well, there's a visible mark that says someone has assaulted you. Right, right. Another another very fascinating reversal. We got we got to take our break right now, but we'll come back to this in just a minute, everybody. We're looking at Zechariah chapter 13 here on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Four years on Sunday mornings, Worldwide KFUO has been broadcasting live worship services for those unable to attend worship or those who enjoy hearing God's Word. This Sunday, our 8 a.m. worship comes from Peace Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri, with presiding pastor Rev. Dennis Castens. Our 1045 worship comes from Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne, Missouri, with presiding pastor Rev. Tim Ostermeyer. Join us on Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. We live in Accra, Ghana, West Africa. We listen to KFUO through the internet. It's nice to listen to a church service going on here in the U.S., the music and the talk shows. It's been very uplifting, really encouraging. So thank you. Bringing the word of Christ to listeners around the world. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Zechariah chapter 13 here. Just looked at the first half of this really interesting chapter, seeing all the connections, uh, really very appropriately, right? We're in the season of Lent here. All the connections ultimately to the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, as it's uh, alluded to in John chapter 19 and uh, recounted, and of course, in just all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today, we are joined by Pastor Stephen Tice from Frona, Missouri, out in East Perry County there in Missouri. If you have a question for me or Pastor Tice, you know, a lot of us have not been able to attend a Bible study in person, but hey, we can have a little bit of a chance to maybe have a little conversation this morning. If you have a question for me or Pastor Tice, give us a call, 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Also want to give a shout out to our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support for underwriting the program. lhfmissions.org is their website. So turning now back to the text, right, I really appreciate it. Uh, the point that you're making, brother, it's so interesting, right? Like the wounds I received in the house of my friends. So, you know, these false prophets are being pierced and wounded on their backs. And these wounds, right, are meant to be visible, right? It says there in verse six, if one asks him, right? right. So they're given these visible uh, piercings and these visible uh, stripes, right? And these are meant to, among other things, mark them as false prophets. Prophets, right? Prophets yeah. who are rejected, right? And in, in verse three, right? You shall not live for your for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. That's just so interesting, as you were saying, how 
I mean, isn't this just what ends up happening to the Lord Jesus when, you know, there he's there before the high priest mm-hmm. and the Sanhedrin, and that, that's pretty much what they say. You shall not live for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. I mean, it's pretty much what they tell him. And then he is pierced, and then he is, is given stripes to mark him as a false prophet. But then the greatest of ironies and the greatest of reversals is that in the resurrection, these marks of piercing and these stripes actually end up being the things that mark him as the only true prophet, the ultimate prophet, the son of God. And so God goes and takes what people were trying to use to mark him as a false prophet, to mm-hmm. mark him out as his only son. Yeah, the thought that came to my mind as, as you were talking about this was uh, some ethnic uh, tribal groups in, in New Guinea and parts of Asia and Africa have traditionally intentionally scarred themselves, either on the chest or sometimes on the face, and those tribal markings are then ways of saying we belong to this group of people. Mm-hmm. Well, Christ actually belongs to all people, and the, the, the marks on him, in particular the, the nail marks in his, in his hands and his feet, and then the piercing of his side, and I'll right. even go so far to say as the, the piercings of his, of his scalp where the crown of thorns was, all those markings are actually markings for the whole world, not just to show that I belong to a group. It's to show that Christ is for every group. And that just, you know, that thought popped into my mind while you were talking. I hadn't considered that previously. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah no, that is interesting, right? And, of course, you, you talk about markings that mark you as a member of, of a group, right? And, of course, um, you know, it's thinking of the Bible, we're thinking of circumcision, yeah. right? That, like, all the males, this would sort of marked them as members of this group. And of course, this becomes a big thing in the New Testament, right? To what extent do you need to continue doing, um, right. you know, mm-hmm. circumcision, right? And what's what's interesting, right? We, we just talked about this. Well, what does Paul say is the new circumcision, the circumcision of of the heart, right? right. Not not mm-hmm. done by, by human hands, right? Well, it's, it's baptism. It's that fountain, right? right. Opened for the house mm-hmm. of David. So it's very interesting to make the connection you were just making that, in some ways, it's as if, you know, if someone's going to be like, well, hang on, where's where's your mark? Uh, right. Where's the mark that marks you as a member of God's people? You say, well, look, I'm baptized in the name of Jesus, and so my marks are on his body. Right. You know, that yeah. those are the marks that mm-hmm. God made himself to mark me as a member of his people. Yeah. And and we, we think about Paul's um, statement as he talks about Christ being the head and we are his body, individually members of it. Right. We, we have that unity with Christ through our baptism, but all, right. the, all the markings were placed on him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, that, and, that's, and that's so fascinating because, you know, I mean, you just think, too, about, um, I mean, just how, like, in the Gospel of uh, Luke, how it's, like, very deliberate that the, you know, the, the circumcision, the naming, oh, yeah. um, the presentation, right, of our Lord are all, are all deliberately there. I mean, it's—you you can say, then, as a Christian, like— well, right, we're, we're, we are we are marked. We we have been circumcised because the Lord Jesus was circumcised. And more than that, as as we're talking about here, um, I mean the the greater marks, right, of the as you were saying, the, the marks of the crown of thorns, the the piercings on the hands, feet, and side, the stripes, right. The, mm-hmm. You can say we've received those marks too, and and they're all on Jesus. It's all going back to the body of Jesus, as you said, because we're His body. Um, you know, is is what I mean. The New Testament says up and down, up and down, yeah. And 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 so that's then. Um, th- th- actually, I think it ties nicely into this next section because we have this idea of you know we're all this one body, we're all incorporated into this one body, right? But the very next verse is speaking about <clears throat> this uh, scattering here, and this also gets picked up by the Gospels. So let's go ahead and read the second half of the chapter and and put our heads together on what, what exactly is this getting at when, when the Lord says this? Well, well, let's go, let's go ahead and read the chapter here. All right. So here's verses seven through nine, the last verse. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. 
In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refined silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. So a lot of a lot of familiar images, um, you know, a remnant, uh, refining, right? Refining like silver and gold. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is all very lang- uh, typical language, right? Of the prophets, stuff that we saw in Isaiah, a number right. of times, right? Uh, but so so very interesting though, right? To kind of read these words about the striking the shepherd. Um, and the sheep scattering in this context, right? I mean, this is what gets cited by the Lord Jesus, um, right, as he's about to be arrested, right? And the, and the right. disciples are about mm-hmm. to desert him. But it's connected to all this other stuff about a, a remnant and destruction refining. So how do we connect these dots um, in light of the gospel connection here? Well, it's, partly what's, what's involved here is that when Jesus himself spoke in in Judea, in Galilee, as he passed through Samaria, many people initially believed him, but then groups turned away when he he said difficult things. Uh, this right. is a hard saying. Some turned away, and and in his earthly ministry among the the people of Israel, some followed him initially and then turned away. Others clung to him. When he was being arrested, of course, at that last moment, all were scattered. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. But the remnant then also applies beyond that situation to the whole earth. And, and Scripture is also very clear that the Word of God, specifically the message of salvation in Jesus, will be an offense to people. So that when we look at these phrases, two-thirds will be cut off and perish in the whole land, across the whole world. It's not that God will cut them off so that they perish. It's that they're cut off because... They don't believe the message of God's love in Christ. And specifically, when we look at, at Zechariah's setting, there there's this group of people who are in the land of promise, and yet they they may go through the outward motion, but as the book of Hebrews calls them, dead works. They're just going through those motions, but not actually worshiping God. John's statement, or Jesus' statement to the Samaritan woman. Time has come, and now is when those who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And this section of Zechariah points to the fact that there have been those who have been participating, but now there's a new situation, and now it's the spirit of truth that matters. Why the prophets have said, don't call me a prophet anymore, I'm not a prophet. The humility, the humbling of the self, and even the willingness to receive the stripes that are coming in humility and this refining that's identified here that happens through god's placing upon us the challenges the difficulties in a refiner's fire he shall purify the sons of levi who you mentioned earlier from isaiah Mm -hmm. we're looking at at the fact that god allows us to go through challenges to purify and we, I'm thinking about conversations I've had with folks uh, in in our congregations here in this area over the past couple of days in particular about the coronavirus and the imposition upon us of inconvenience. Yeah. And realizing that in the long run, this is a mild thing. Yes, right. it's disconcerting. It's it's nerve-wracking for some people, and if your health is immunocompromised, you know, you're, you're a little more concerned than others might be. But ultimately, all of these things are temporary. And in the yes. midst, the Lord is refining us. Well, yes, and, and those, I, yeah, I appreciate that. That's, that's two really good connections here. So, right, you, you see this happening in the, in the life of, of Jesus, our Lord, because, you know, so as you said, it starts off with him in, in Gethsemane saying, you will all fall away. Um, and and it, it, as you said, that's kind of just the next um, domino in the chain that's been going. Like people have been, as you were saying, deserting the Lord Jesus um, and abandoning him, you know, uh, bit by mm-hmm. bit the whole the whole way, and finally even even the twelve uh, desert him at the end there, right? 
And, and so that's just kind of the, the just next step in the sequence. But then, as you're saying, if this is a sequence, then, we'll, then well, what happens next? Well, I mean, literally, right, as the Lord predicted, the temple it was destroyed, not even a generation later. Um, Jerusalem was destroyed. There was a major loss of life. Um, I, I mean, like two-thirds might, I mean, not even be actually that much of an exaggeration. I don't, I'm not really a historian on that particular period, but it was a major loss of life. There was literally fire, you know, in, in the city, on the temple and all the rest, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you have all that stuff just that just kind of happened actually in sequence um, going on there. But then, as you were saying, you know, we, we can relate to this, you know, in our own day that, how in how many ways like throughout the century since then right have right. have different parts of christianity fallen away and turned away from the lord jesus when they looked back on his words and said you know what this is a hard saying and different groups have gone different directions and have split off right over the centuries and have turned to different ways um as you were saying not not because god is uh, making them dead but really that the deadness that was already there the, mm-hmm. the emptiness right they're, they're turning away and disconnecting themselves from the body of christ that you see that going on throughout the centuries and throughout the centuries too this refining as you were saying that 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 god is refining us through these different circumstances and just mm-hmm. i mean I, I this is gonna get so big because after this after this uh, book of zechariah we're going to revelation and it's just like you were saying like what is how does revelation talk right uh, the lord jesus appears it says his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, right? So the Lord Jesus himself, like, I mean, there's this yeah. image of his feet, which were pierced, right? As, as we were saying, mm-hmm. are, are refined in a sense by this, by this piercing. And then what does he say in, in chapter three? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. You know, this, this idea that, that God's refining his church and, giving to his church these riches as they suffer through persecution as something that we do even today. So, uh, yeah, I really appreciate that, that you see the connections both, you know, in the, in the life and times of the Lord and the apostles, and then even in our own situation today. Yeah, and, and this, this striking against my shepherd, the man who stands next to me, shows that God's design for Jesus to suffer is is intentional design of the Lord, not the way you and I would pick things to happen. God's ways are different than ours, even even right. in daily life, but specifically as his plan for salvation is identified, it's the last thing people were expecting. They literally right. weren't expecting the Messiah to die. And yet that's exactly. the plan God has from the foundation of the world, that he himself will come to rescue us, because we can't do it. He does it for us. And, and this refining process, you know, the two-thirds shall cut off and perish. One-third shall be left alive. You're getting you comment about Revelation. You know, the uh-huh. fire poured out upon the earth. I mean, it's, you know, right. it's there. So right. the, the one that, that says this, um, I was just noting in, in verse 8 in particular, in the whole land declares Yahweh, declares the Lord. And mm-hmm. this is the spokesman now of God, Zechariah, is not a false prophet. He's, right. he's the contrast to the false prophets who say, I'm not a prophet, don't, you know, I don't wear a cloak, don't call me that. Zechariah is the Lord's servant, chosen by God, to bring this good news of a cleansing that will come, not through ease and comfort, but through suffering and, and pain and finally death and resurrection. So we're looking at right. the cleansing, yeah. Well, well, and thank you for bringing us back to the man Zechariah, because now this this is um this is an interesting thing now, right? So I think we've kind of talked about you know levels two and three, the life and times of the Lord and the apostles, mm-hmm. um, our own times today. But if we go back to level one, right? Like what what's Zechariah yeah. the man, right? Who's contrasted right with these false prophets of the day? Mm-hmm. What what's going on, on on level one? Because we were talking about this a little bit. Um, the kind of kind of first of all limited um fulfillment of what's going on in chapters you know uh, 10 11 12 right mm-hmm. um how do we connect these things because as we were saying it's all connected in, in the hebrew by this on that day and on that day right so mm-hmm. it, it seems like it's connected to what's going on in, in chapter 12 and so how might we do that and and yesterday when we were looking at chapter 12 
you know, we were, we were talking about, well, there's this, there's this siege that's being talked about, this siege of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and that despite the siege, um, God provides, and they come out on the other side of it. You know, and, and right before that, it was talking about this, this worthless shepherd, Right, yeah. and mm-hmm. so it, it is. It is very interesting to think, you know, it, on on the kind of first level, is this perhaps talking about this period where you had the uh, the, the Seleucids, like who were oppressing God's people, right, in, in the time uh, immediately following um, the Macedonians, right? You had right. that corrupt high priest Jason, who was just collaborating with the Seleucids, right? I mean, a worthless shepherd who would have been devouring the flock, as it said back in 11. Right. And, then, and then in chapter 12, you know, there was literally a time, not, uh, not long later, it was, um, it was brought on by Antiochus VII, where he actually besieged Jerusalem, right? Um, mm-hmm. could, could well we have read today in chapter 13, like also in a limited way, have been fulfilled um, in those times? And what, do you, what, do, what are your thoughts on how that might connect? Well, it would also be the the uh, reassurance to the people in those difficult days that God has not forgotten them. That it, uh, much as I mentioned earlier with Jesus, it didn't look like God was winning when Christ is on the cross. But right. it's still God accomplishing his purpose, and that he will destroy the false prophets, the false priests, and, and even the, the false rulers— by removing them and the Seleucids and, and being removed, ultimately replaced by the Hasmonean group, but, but the whole understanding that God will give his people a temple in which to worship, and then God will make sure that temple is clean. Right. Well, yeah, no, because there was that, that purification idea, right? Because as mm-hmm. you were saying, when, when the, the Hasmonean uh, dynasty, right, was, was set up, right? I mean, that's what, and that's what the whole thing of, ha- of Hanukkah is, a, is about, right? right? That, that mm-hmm. celebration that, well, and, and that's even talked about, right, in the New Testament, that, the idea of the rededication of the temple, that there was, and the old story goes that, like, you know, that they came in and they were looking for pure oil that hadn't been, def- you know, defiled, Right by um, by the Gentiles, and there was only so much, and then you know, mm-hmm. like well, like by God's grace, it like it kept burning for eight days, right? But it was, it was you know, the story aside, right? It was you know taking those you know the, the statue of Zeus and, and all the things like that out of the temple, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff that like the this corrupt high priest had brought in, you know, like uh, sacrifices of like pig's blood and things like this, um, yeah. purifying it and getting it out of there that. Yeah, in in the process of that fight, there would there would have been a tremendous loss of life, like the kind that we're talking about mm-hmm. here. But that in that there was this, um, there was this, there was a, there was a refining that was taking place. Um, there there was uh, a moment of, you know what, we're we're not going to go along with with all of the the, the pantheon of the Greek religion. We're not going to be worshiping um, Zeus and the rest of this, right? And that yeah, even though it was just temporary right and that that has me in dynasty i mean it was i mean you know it had it had a, a little run there but i mean it was ultimately put down um especially by by rome basically right um but it, it was still something that god did even in those times as he was preparing the way for his son jesus christ that his son would be um born of the virgin mary that there would be a people of god that would be hanging on you know, like, albeit by a thread, but there there was this remnant, right, that, that God was preserving uh, for the sake of the, the coming of the Messiah. Yeah, and, and they, would, they would stay in the land, and they would continue to worship at a temple that was eventually restored and then obviously elaborately expanded. Um, but, but the key factor that, that comes to my mind, when they returned and, and brought with them the practice of synagogue uh, assembly. And literally, the word synagogue means gathering right. together. Um, and so they have this, this gathering together to hear the Word of God, to be instructed by the Word of God. The purification has taken place. The refining has happened so that they now continuously, regularly, every Sabbath, gather together in a place set aside to hear and focus on the Word of God, in, in this sense that even though they were still sinful people and didn't always understand what God was saying, just like today, 
they still gathered to hear the word. This right. refining process did its job of giving them right. a, a commitment to hear the word of God, not to hear false right. prophets. Right. And, and I think that I, I appreciate you making that connection, especially in, in these times that this gathering idea, right? That, mm-hmm. I mean, like, uh, I mean, here I am in Orange County and I, I mean, we just got the, these, uh, a series of, of public orders by the county um, that like basically just say like, you know, all public and private gatherings are are hereby just, you know, banned, right? Like mm-hmm. they're, they're not legal anymore. We'll, we'll, we'll take legal means against them. We need, we need to, you know, um, not spread this virus, right? Um, that, that's just interesting, though, to, to look at the word gathering, because as you said, that word gathering, I mean, that's the word that has kind of basically always been associated with God's people, whether it was mm-hmm. the assembly, right, of God's people, right. the congregation, referring to the whole people marching around the tabernacle, um, or as you said, uh, the synagogue, right, um, when you had like a smaller group, but they were gathering together, or we talk about the church, we're talking about a congregation, like all of those words mean gathering, you know, they they mean people coming together. And it's, it's interesting how this refining happens, this strike happens like in verse seven. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but there still is going to be a gathering and and just, I I don't know, like in in our own context out here, um, it was really something to see like just how the people of God, even though we were we were scattered like to you know our houses, there was there was still there was still gathering right like just you know yesterday evening you know my my family and like everyone in the house we were, we were gathered around uh, the TV and that we were streaming um, mm-hmm. the the service right there to that place and we were still singing the responses right and speaking the Lord's prayer out loud together right. that mm-hmm. there is still a gathering even in the midst of these sorts of things and and just as how there was a scattering of God's people um, in the times of the, the apostles um, mm-hmm. and, and God's people went all over the place, like following the destruction of the temple. God gathers up those scattered remnants. Right. And, yeah. and there's still a gathering of God's people in spirit and truth. Um, just like one minute left, but uh, your thoughts, brother, as we look at this chapter. Well, and this is the, the focus on the end. Uh, the very end is they will call upon my name and I will answer them. God will keep a promise. They will say, Yahweh is my God, I will claim them as my people. But this is the, the culmination of the purification, is that they are ready now to be in God's presence and to acknowledge this relationship. And that's what you and I have in Christ Jesus, and what all God's people have, no matter where we are in the world or in history. This relationship with God is an eternal thing that connects us with one another, no matter where we're located. Amen. Amen. Looking at the big picture, God keeps his promises. We are one in the body of Christ. Thank you so much, brother. So good to hear your voice and to look at the word together. God bless you and everyone out there in East Perry County. Blessings with you as well as you gather around the word wherever you happen to be. Amen. Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Stephen Tice from Frona, Missouri. Moving on to the last chapter of Zechariah, chapter 14, concluding another book of the Bible, getting us ready for the book of Revelation. It is amazing how God has this timing of his, very appropriate to be looking at this. We are one in Christ. He will not abandon us. Till next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.